Good morning, all you snowbirds. This morning, it's my pleasure to introduce Bob Henley. Uh, Dr. Henley is an ophthalmologist, has his practice here in Roswell, and he takes care of Linda's eyes, takes care of my eyes, and I found out this morning there's several other people in this room for whom he gives eye care. We first got to know Pam and Bob back in the Pathfinder class many years ago at RUMC. And this morning, Bob said when I asked him, is there something I might say to introduce you? He said, well, I will say some things, but there's one thing i got to tell you, because it meant a lot to me when he said it. He was talking about as he prepared for today's lesson, this will be a two-part series, that he pulled out some of the old files and saw some names of people that he had not seen since perhaps when he and Pam went started going to another church. And he said, when I saw those names and I saw those memories coming back, I got a little emotional. <coughs> so Bob, come be with us. Share with us. He's got to turn on his mic first. Thank you, Bob. Good morning. It really is nice to be here. Now, I can hear. I think this is working. Is that correct? Of course, this fell off and started dragging the floor as soon as I got up here. So, Technology. Let's see if we can go this way. Yes, it is. It's very nice to be back. I taught 30 years ago here in a class called Pathfinders, which no longer exists. And then I got to thinking... I certainly hope my teaching didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> if it's, I don't know exactly what happened to it. Well, I hope it's, it might be out there with the lost tribes of Israel or something like that. But even though I had a, as a child, I went to Decatur First Methodist Church, and um, I did have some Baptist roots that crept in because I have a great grandfather that was a Baptist minister. And we used to be members here, but geography kind of took its toll. You know, they opened a Baptist church up over in East Cobb, and that's where maybe a little too lazy. And uh, so we ended up changing uh, our membership. But you know what? I have wonderful memories here. I see faces that I've known. I really enjoyed Malone's preaching when he was here. So um, it did, and in, in a way, then, it's, it's kind of a homecoming. But I've been able to keep up with patients and all that here in the church, and they tell me that happenings. For instance, when this rather dramatic addition was added out here, one of my patients looked at me and said, this is now the best all-around church in Atlanta. See, now Pam says I have a weird sense of humor. I said, all Octagon. Okay, how about that? All Octagon. I would say, that guy had no sense of humor. I don't know why he said that. I wouldn't say that anyway. Now, you may be getting the handouts. Are you starting to get the handouts now? No. I wasn't sure when I was. Okay, well, let me let me tell you that this is some kind of handout. It's about seven pages long. Now, see, I'm a writer. And when you get a writer in front of a word processor, words start piling up, okay? So uh, when you start looking at this, you might say, how is he going to get through this in two lessons? Well, the answer is very simple. I'm not, okay? <laughs> this is kind of like the cliff notes of, of end times prophecy. Remember cliff notes in school when you found out you had to read Wuthering Heights in three days and you said, no, I'm not going to do that, so you got the cliff notes. So here's what I'd like for you to do with this. 
we're going. What my aims here during these two lessons is to whet your appetite for prophecy. Okay, I'm going to tell you some very exciting prophecies that have been fulfilled. Many, as I say, I found those old notes for the old lectures I gave. There have been some changes. There's been fulfillment since then. Even I mean, things are happening at a very rapid pace. So I want to whet your appetite for that. <clears throat> And then sometime, maybe this next week or the week after, house is quiet, get you a cup of coffee and sit down and read this handout. Now, you might not be able to read all of it at one sitting. You'll see it's broken down into different topics like the rapture, the um, Armageddon, the tribulation period, these these things. And you'll notice there's biblical uh, references to back up each one of these statements. Have your Bible handy. If there's one thing you take away from both of these two lectures I give you, it's this. If somebody tells you something about prophecy, don't believe it completely until you've checked it with the Bible, okay? Check it out, because there's, as my pathology professor in medical school told me, that there's much hokum abroad in the land. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of hokum abroad in the land when it comes to prophecy. If somebody's got some book out saying Jesus is coming back at 8.30 on, on the 17th of March and all this kind of stuff. Well, we know that only the Father knows the day and the time, so... <clears throat> The antidote for that is knowing your Bible and uh, and checking things out before you accept it. Now, something about, a word about the teacher. I was born and raised out near Decatur. I have a sister. My dad was a pharmacist. I came to Christ at about age 12. Uh, when I got out of high school, I was either going to be an electrical engineer or a surgeon. After taking two quarters of calculus, I switched to pre-med, decided to take the easy way out at Georgia Tech. Got out of Georgia Tech. You don't graduate from Georgia Tech, you get out of Georgia Tech. Got out of Georgia Tech, went to Vanderbilt Med School, came back and did my residency and the high training here at Grady and Emory. Set up shop down the road here. I see familiar faces here. So, oh, you examined my eyes. You know, so you see a lot of, uh, a, a lot of familiar faces, and so I feel like I am part of the part of the community. Then, in the early 70s, my sister gave me a little book that, you know, I hate to say it, because people say this all the time, but in a way it did rock my world or change my life or stick whatever little phrase you want to put in there. It's called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Teeny little thing like this. I think it sold 30 million copies right now. And I had studied the Bible, not as much as I've been able to study it in the last few decades, but knew something about the Bible. Had a good, was raised in a Christian family. And I said, wait a minute, I've never heard this. How come I hadn't heard this before? Is this guy a nut? I mean, where, where is this coming from? So I launched into a study of prophecy to find out if Hal Lindsey's a nut. He's not a nut, I'm happy to say. And I'd also take the same uh, attitude toward me. When you read on this handout, you're going to read some things that might shake you up a little bit. And you're going to say, well, wait a minute. Is that in the Bible? Check it and read it. You know, and maybe you can say, is this Bob Henley nut, too? You know, but anyway, so that being said, then that's one of my big, big interests. Now, as far as the bibliography, if you'll look in the back, if you've got your handout, Al Lindsay's Late Great Planet Earth, I put that down as number one, it's about this thick, you can read it in several days, still the first thing I would recommend to somebody if you want an overview of prophecy, Dwight Pentecost, Things to Come, now this is a scholarly tome, Dr. Pentecost, this is his doctoral thesis and it's about 600 pages, I, it makes me wonder how long it took him to get his doctorate, I mean you know this is the Dallas Theological Seminary, 
And then there's this book, which is called Eschatology, A Futurist View, by a man named L. Thomas Holcroft. Now, this is at the same time a wonderful book and a horrible book. The wonderful part is what's written in it. This man is Canadian, I believe. He's taught prophecy for decades. He's retired now, but it's so well written and well um, organized. Now, what's the bad part? Have you ever bought something on Amazon or something, or say, people who bought this? Also got this. Yeah. Well, what they should include is a little bottle of Elmer's glue. Because this doggone thing just falls apart. I mean, I've had that. I don't know. So, physically it's not good, but maybe he's got a new publisher now. So it works out. Then, I recommend Hal Lindsey's program. He, I have a real high opinion of him. I wouldn't put, I would put him in the same category as Billy Graham as far as his value to modern Christendom. He has a website, HalLindsay.com. He also has the Hal Lindsay Report that's on every week. I look at the one that's 8.30 Friday nights on uh, Trinity Broadcast Network, but it's on a lot of Chris, uh, Christian channels. Pam will tell you, Saturday morning I get my coffee, get me a legal pad, and sit in there and take notes. Hal Lindsay is very good. I fact-check all of the things he put. Mainly, he, he, he considers himself a watchman on the wall. He wants to remind us how close we are getting to the end and I, of the age, not of the world, but of the age. And he does real good research, mainly what's going on in the Mideast, and uh, politically, economically, all over the world, as this set, the end times are coming up, and we will see, we will explore in several different areas and see, see how this is happening. Now, uh, <clears throat> also, well, number five and number six by an author named Robert Henley, M.D. I have two books on Amazon, and I think Barnes & Noble also. These are fiction, okay? Uh, one is a mystery, an end times mystery. The other one's an end time geopolitical thriller called Mashiach, which is a Hebrew word for Messiah. first one is called Prelude. Now, these are self-published, and of course, you can publish anything. It could be the worst book ever written. However, there's an outfit called Kirkus Review. I did have them review the books, and I got, I think, a good review from Kirkus Review, so I'm not ashamed to put those in there. They have the plan of salvation. If you know someone that likes to read and you're not sure whether they know the Lord, then you can you can recommend that book, and they can't say they hadn't after they, after they finished the book. So I, I just thought that I would throw that in there. Now, um... <clears throat> One thing, you might see me looking back and forth on the left and the right. See, I also wrote a teacher's guide. Well, if I'd put with additional information, if I had put that in here, I might as well have written a third book. I mean, you know, it's just going to be too much. You say, wait a minute, I can, I can read this. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to look at this, and then we'll add the, uh, add the necessary uh, material. All right, now, I have a Sunday school teacher who was world famous in apologetics. Apologetics doesn't mean I'm sorry. It means it's a defense. It comes from the word defense of the faith, which is becoming very important now because the faith is being attacked. Dr. William Lane Craig, he has a website called reasonablefaith.org. And uh, so, and if anybody, if you have a seeker friend or somebody, and say, oh, I have an intellectual problem with the Bible. Well, some of the greatest minds in history have been theists, they believed in God. You don't have to drop 30 IQ points and check your brain at the door when you tell people you're a Christian. But nowadays, that you listen to the media and all this, that kind of sounds like what it is. So, so Bill has this wonderful ministry, and he's called. He went to uh, Oxford. He had a debate with Dawkins, a militant atheist, 
all the doctors didn't show up, and now we call it the empty chair debate. That's a story right there. But he's, uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm getting off on that, but I wanted to let you know he has a class over at Johnson Ferry called The Defenders, and it's broadcast podcasts every week to something like 30 to 40,000 people across the world. So you have to be kind of careful when you ask a question in that class. And the other day, this guy came up and said, are you Dr. Bob? I said, because that's what they call me. When he calls me, it's Dr. Bob. I said, yes, I am Dr. Bob. He says, well, oh, I remember you had a question about the ontological argument about a year ago, and you had disagreed with the current view of something. And I I really appreciate your comments on that. So I thought, boy, I've got to really be careful with what I'm saying here. But anyway, All right, so apologetics for the Christian faith. But now I almost feel we need apologetics for prophecy. Prophecy just doesn't get the respect that some of the other great doctrines of the church have gotten, okay, for various reasons. All right, now, some of it, it is brought on itself. For instance, there have been a lot of predictions about Christ's return, just flat false. They did, some guy came out recently, said he's coming back this time, didn't, of course. So then he wrote another book, oh, I miscalculated, he's coming back here. I don't know whether he got, a, got royalties for another book or not. So you have to be very, very careful about that. And that's not a new phenomenon. That's been going on for several hundred years. In fact, I think uh, Luther uh, himself, Martin Luther, the reformist, was very hesitant to adopt the idea of a literal fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, and, and the reformers were too. So the, the answer to this, of course, is to check everything with the Bible, as we've just said. Don't launch out and get off into these aberrant beliefs. Now, uh, another complaint about prophecy, it's too hard to understand. Now, the aforementioned Martin Luther and other reformers, they kind of steered a wide course away from Daniel and Revelation. In fact, Martin Luther didn't even think Revelation ought to be in the Bible. Um, and uh, probably because of the fact, I'm going to give you some reasons here. I will cut him some slack and figure out why why he might have arrived at that conclusion. First of all, there was no Israel. Both Daniel and and Revelation describe Israel being present. Well, Israel hadn't been present in his day in the 1500s since 70 A.D. when Titus and the, uh, destroyed it with the Roman legion. No Israel. Number two. How could the dead bodies of two witnesses, now in Revelation 11.9, it describes God's witnesses, and the Antichrist finally kills these men, and their bodies lie in the street for three and a half days, and every nation, seen by men from every nation, as the NIV has it. Now, how could men from every nation see the bodies of three people lying in the street? Now, remember, at that time, the ox cart was about the highest technology they had, okay? So you can't blame him. He might say, "Well, that must not be." You can't take that literally. So, so, uh, so maybe we just we'll just discount this. Another thing: How could the Antichrist possibly enforce a worldwide rule requiring the mark of the beast for com- for um, commercial activity? We're told in Revelation when the Antichrist takes over his one-world government, if you don't have his mark, you can't buy or sell or anything, and you're gonna starve. Now, how could that possibly be enforced? You know, in Martin Luther's time, I go up here behind the hill and buy a bag of flour from this guy. How in the world would some antichrist know that? That can't be taken seriously, but not, not literally anyway. And another example, there's in Ezekiel 38 to 39, we have what's called Gog's War, where Gog of Magog, who is almost certainly Russia, almost certainly Russia, teams up with Persia, which is Iran, and they invade Israel for plunder. 
well, what kind of plunder does Israel have? And it, first of all, it didn't exist, but if it existed, what kind of plunder would it have? So you can see these are the kinds of questions that he would ask so we can understand why he would say, well, we just can't take this literally. This just can't be. But, of course, we know things have changed now, and that is the secret. Uh, this, is, this, this is the point that I want to make. In the past, the church's great doctrine, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, Christology, the doctrine of Christ, for instance, that was hammered out in 325 A.D. at something called the Council of Nicaea, where they got together and determined exactly how does Christ relate to Hathaos in the Greek meaning God the Father. How does Christ? Turns out, we said, okay, they have the same essence, but different personalities. And this took a long time to get this down. Okay, we had to do that with so the Trinity, a lot of other doctrines. Prophecy, on the other hand, is the last great church's doctrine to be unraveled. Okay, and that's why it loses a little respect sometimes, because if this has been around forever, prophecy is just now coming into its own. But that's the way God designed it. Okay, so how did these individuals, when they got together at the Council of Nicaea and other places to come up with this, what input did they use to make their determinations? Now I'll step away from here. Can you hear me okay? Well, what inputs do we use when we want to know something from God? We want to understand the Scripture. We take the Scripture itself. We take the input from the Holy Spirit. All of us who have accepted Christ have had our spirits regenerated, and we're now uh, able to have a communication with God. And so he puts the information into us by way of the Holy Spirit. Two things. Okay, wonderful. Now, here's where it's a little different. Prophecy is different. Prophecy has to have a third thing before you can understand it. And what is that third thing? Current events. Current events? That's not very cool intellectually. These guys in the seminaries and all, they're used to talking about very deep, profound theological concepts. Current events? That sounds like the third or fourth grade. So, what is the biblical support for that? Well, I want you to look at Matthew. Well, you don't have to look at it now. That's another thing. I'm going to give you some quotes. Don't try to find them in the Bible. You know, I've been playing. You try. By the time you get there, he's already off on something else and everything else. <laughs> Make a little jot in the in the margins if you want to. But I'm going to have it down right here in the Olivet Discourse, which I'll explain in a minute. Matthew 24 and 33. <clears throat> uh, Matthew 24, 33. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it, the end of the age, is near, right at the door. Okay. So Christ then is talking about when you see this, then you'll know that. So that's the way prophecy is going to be revealed, and it takes, and we're told to watch and, and to see those things. Now, um, what were some, okay, the Olivet Discourse, fancy name for a discussion Christ had with his disciples. Now, the second temple, the first temple was Solomon's temple, and it was pretty impressive, pretty impressive. Second temple was built by Herod, King Herod. Now, King Herod was a certifiable psychopath. I mean, this guy was just wacky. But there's one thing he could do well is build buildings. He loved architecture, and he had a lot of input from the best minds there. And he really came up with some great buildings, a palace on a hill, I think is one of them. So, and he also did the second Jewish temple. Now, this must have been a really beautiful temple, really beautiful. must have been impressive. So one day, Christ was leaving the temple, we're told in Matthew 24, and his disciples came up and said, look at this, isn't this something, something to that effect? And he says, I tell you that there's not going to be one stone on top of the other coming up. This temple is going to be torn down. So you can imagine their shock. This was the pride of the nation. Even Herod, who was a client king of, of Rome, 
uh, he, he was okay with it because he built it. I said, what in the world's going to happen to it? Okay, so they ask him, when is this going to happen? And also, what is the sign of your return and of the end of the age? Okay, and so he sat him down on the Mount of Olives, which is a mountain covered with olive trees, across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem, and he gave him the Olivet Discourse which is recorded in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. And that has many things. Nowadays, if you hear a sermon about the coming th- uh, age or the end times, it's gonna, there's a list of several things that he told them would happen there. And we're going to go over those in just a minute. But I want to use that, I want you to call your attention to age. A lot of people that don't know much about prophecy say, oh, when's the end of the world coming? The end of the world's never coming. As far as we know, it's here for eternity. What is going to end up is at the age. The age is coming to an end. And the Greek word in the New Testament, whenever you see age, like this evil age while we wait for Christ's return to the end of the age, is A-I-O-N. And it just means age. Sort of like the roaring twenties, the age of enlightenment. A period of time defined by certain attributes. And, and that's all it means. So don't Understand, he was talking about the end of the age. Now, when Christ returns, that will be the end of this age, and then, which is the blessed hope of the church, and then we have another age coming up, and there's a timetable in here I'm going to give you for the, <clears throat> for the ages that are given. But let's get back to the Olivet Discourse. Well, you probably heard, I'm sure you heard these several times, we'll go over them. He told them false Christ would appear. Well, I can't say I've seen any false Christ, you know, I don't know about that. I know that I did a, um, turn while I was in medical school in psychiatry. If you go into any psycho ward, VA hospitals, any hospital, you're going to be introduced to a lot of Jesus Christ and a lot of Napoleon Bonaparte's because a lot of people just like to identify with very important people. But as far as a true false Christ, in Christ's age there were false Christ because they were looking for the Messiah. This day, I don't see this yet, but that doesn't mean it's not coming. I think that's probably going to happen in the tribulation period, which happens uh, after Christ. Uh, after what I call the rapture. Wars and rumors of wars. When people will say, well, gosh, there have been wars and rumors of wars ever since man's been here. Yes, they have. But there's a different quality to the wars and rumors of wars now. The Greek is ethnos versus ethnos, meaning people group against people group. And that might talk about the Muslim, non-Muslim conflict that we're seeing right now. So that's another aspect of that that's coming. Famines. You might have heard about the Malthusian prophecy, there was a guy named uh, Robert Malthus, a British cleric, 1766 to 1834, and his warning was that the world's going to run out of food and everybody's going to starve. Well, it didn't happen. The reason it didn't happen, he didn't see the technology coming with all the additives and fertilizers and the fact that we can now feed so many people, and nobody's starved yet to to the extent where we have that, but not on a mass basis. But that's going to that's going to change, and it's already going to change. I've already seen now the the world's population is about seven or eight billion now, and I think it's going to be like twenty billion or something. And ten, we can't. Some of these people are starving now; they're going to start dying. We can't feed those people. See, and in fact, the third seal in Revelation six is the black horse, and they're talking about a day's wages for a meal. Well, that implies huge um, um, either famine or tremendous inflation, or both, okay? So that's coming, and I can see that that is coming. It's on the way. Now, another thing you mentioned was earthquakes. This is what everybody gloms onto and says, okay, we're having more earthquakes, so the end times are coming. Well, it's hard to get a handle on whether we're having a 
actual increase in the total number of earthquakes. It is not hard to get a handle on that we're having a huge increase in the number of severe earthquakes. And if you examine what Christ said, he didn't say you, there will be more earthquakes. He just said there will be earthquakes. He may have been talking about more about our global communication system, which they didn't have then. But we're going to talk about that in a little more detail. And also birth pains. All these are the beginning of birth pangs. Well, see, I've never had a birth pain. But I know somebody who did, and you probably all know somebody who did. And what are some attributes of birth pains? Well, they start out kind of mild, and they get kind of worse. They start out kind of far apart, and they get kind of closer together. That may have been what Jesus was talking about. Al Lindsay believes that. A lot of people are. I'm not totally sure he was talking about that. One time I did a review. I got out my concordance and looked up birth pangs all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. In none, there's about six, seven, or eight instances of it. None of them said clearly that that's what they were getting at, that it was going to get more intense, it was going to get worse. Now, I take it that for sure they meant, they may have meant that, and I think they probably did. I'm just not ready to totally buy into that. What they may have meant is simply this, the birth pain is something that it's awful, but you're just so, you're so happy with what is, what's going to happen afterwards that you'll put up with the birth pain, you see. And I think that's probably for sure what he meant, but there could be that thing of intensity, because as you will see, the intensity on several tracks leading to the end times is getting more and more severe. Pestilences, he mentioned. Um, pestilences and plagues. Well, folks, I hate to tell you as a talk, I mean, this is scary. But we could possibly take a turn back into the pre-antibiotic era where your friend and loved one go in the hospital and they get a life-threatening infection for something simple like taking some uh, orthopedic appliances, some metals, something out of a joint or something. Used to be, after advent of penicillin, eh, if we get an infection, we'll just treat it and be okay. We got these resistance bugs now, and they're really bad. I think most people don't realize just how bad they are. I kind of follow this. Some of the British physicians are really worried about it. So we could get very easily get back into the pestilences, just as it was before antibiotics. Persecution of believers. Folks, every day in your prayers, pray for Christians across the world. They're getting killed. At about maybe 100,000 a year are killed because they're a Christian. When we're Christians... We get a little upset when air conditioning set a little too high in church. You know, that's, that's, that's our problem with Christian. Or if we have to walk in the rain to get into church, oh, I'm having, these people are costing their lives and their children's lives. This is going on today and it's getting worse. A lot of them at the hands of militant Islamists. And so that's something to, to pray about every day. Diminution of faith or apostasy. Second Timothy 3, 5 says that in the end times there will be teachers with a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Now you can turn on the TV now, and you can see a lot of people that call themselves ministers, and, you, and they give out all this high full of stuff, mostly inspirational things, and I say, okay, get to the point. You, you, have to, and you need Christ in your life, and you need a relationship with God. To over, you need that power, and you need to overcome the problems here in the world. They don't get to that. They don't preach it. They don't preach the gospel because they're afraid of offending somebody. There is one mainline, I've forgotten which mainline church, but it has a, a group that's pushing, saying, you know, we shouldn't uh, preach the plan of salvation anymore because we're going to offend people, we're going to turn them away. Excuse me? What was the last thing Jesus said when he left? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then you're not going to do that because you're going to offend them? He said, they hated me and they'll hate you. They killed him. And so we're going, there's going to be some repercussions for preaching the gospel, but we're told to do that. And as a church, we need to stand firm. Now, I believe in a 
what's called a pre-tribulational rapture. I believe the church is going to be pulled out before things get really, really bad. There are a lot of very good Christians believe that the uh, church is going through the, the uh, tribulation period. That's fine. I'll present some arguments uh, why, why I don't think that's the case. And, and those people had better hope I'm right and they're wrong because they probably are not going to make it through. They and their family It's going to be really, really bad. You don't want to be anywhere near the planet Earth. If you think the planet Earth had bad problems up to now, you haven't seen anything till that tribulation period. In fact, it's told that the days weren't cut shorter had it been allowed to continue, then, uh, then mankind would have been destroyed. False prophets. That's another thing he mentioned. <clears throat> well, that can be, you can apply that to false doctrine, things like that that depart from the Bible. But certainly I think that's going to pick up, uh, and certainly in the, in the tribulation period, which leads to Armageddon. Now I'm going to give you a timeline based on uh, what we've been discussing here. In fact, it's already in there. You can see it. What is it? It's 4, well, it's under 4, 4A. And, um, and we'll go over that. I, what I plan to do what, this week, and a lot of it last, probably won't get to it this week, is just to go through some of these things and let me add a little material to each one, like the Millennial Kingdom, these things, and add, and that, and we'll pick up about the timeline too. But uh, according to my belief, according to what's called the premillennial position, the church will be literally removed from the face of the earth. Uh, the rapture, which is 1 Corinthians 15, Second uh, uh, Thessalonians 2, and it's just, it's and, and really, uh, in John, I go there to prepare a place, place for you, John 14, I think it's 1 through 3. Many places it's attested. We're going to literally be pulled off the face of the earth. Well, a lot of people think, oh, that's a little that's a little severe. My wife said once, she said, oh, that sounds almost like science fiction, I'm sure. I think a lot of Christians have problems with that, but there it is. It's the Apostle Paul. He spent two weeks with the Thessalonians, and he told them about that, and they were upset. They afraid they might have missed the rapture. That's why he had to write and straighten things out in Second Thessalonians. So if he thought after being a Christian for only two weeks that he would get into it, then I think that it's good to discuss that. Plus, it's the blessed hope. You know, we all want to punch out, you know, like a fighter pilot on a, on a, a plane going down. So, uh, anyway, I, so after false prophets, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in, whole, in the whole world. Again, back to the points, Christ's points in the Olivet Discourse. Um, the gospel has been preached in pretty much the whole world. It's not, you know, there there are some areas that hadn't been reached, but it's, and our technology now has allowed us to do that. So I think we've got enough to where that meets that requirement for his return. And then finally, the abomination that causes desolation. Now you can look at that on 5E. That's a technical term. When the temple is desecrated by Gentiles, happened in 165 B.C. by Antiochus Epiphanes, a Syro-Greek leader, happened in 70 A.D. by Titus, the Roman general, when they came in and destroyed Jerusalem and spread the Jews all over the world. And it's going to happen again in the midway of the tribulation period, we're told in Revelation, when the Antichrist puts an image of his probably into the temple at that time. So that's going to be the abomination that causes desolation. And Jesus told his disciples, when you see that, in essence, run for the hills, go up uh, to the mountains. <clears throat> okay, now, let's see. Let me look back here and see. Yeah, good. All right, now, 
So what are the reasons for studying prophecy? If it has negative publicity, if the seminaries aren't all out, I get the feeling that that's not really taught or pushed a whole lot in the seminaries. I think it's probably more interest coming up from the grassroots than there are from the from the seminarians now. There are certain colleges which are heavy on that, like Dallas Theological Seminary. It's a, it's a school that's very conservative. It represents the conservative end of, uh, and has been really ever since it's beginning. But a lot of schools, of course, that are very liberal especially, tend to not stress prophecy much at all. Uh, and some of this has to do, and I don't really want to get off into this, it's called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, and we won't get off on it too much. I'm prepared to hear, but I don't think we're going to have enough time. It depends literally whether you believe in interpreting the Bible, what it literally says, what's called the grammatico-historical hermeneutic system, where you use grammar, historical context, the milieu or surrounding of what's going on to get, arrive at the best meaning, or whether you do what's called allegorization, which was... Really, Mr. Allegory was origin, O-R-I-G-E-N, about 200 A.D. He was uh, at the Alexandrian school. And then, of course, Augustine, the Augusta, uh, Augustine, the so-called Saint Augustine, from about 325 to 400 A.D. And he believed you should interpret scriptures literally, except if it had to do with, script, with prophecy. And that's kind of what Martin Luther was thinking, and the Reformers, too. And probably for the same reasons, okay? But anyway, so most, to suffice, so it, it, that's called amillennialism. In other words, he denied a millennium, which is a 1,000-year period, the kingdom on earth, which I believe, and those of us in the, in the premillennial uh, school believe, that Christ will set up this literal kingdom, Okay. So he denies that, and that's called amillennialism, and that was adopted by the Catholic Church, and it's probably fair to say today that most Christian of Christendom is amillennial, although they're coming around a little more to a more uh, conservative hermeneutic, which is what I'm giving you here is this grammatical historical. Okay. But I always wanted to let you know that that exists. So a lot of people, they, all these things I write down here, they say, well, I hear what you say, uh, uh, Bob, uh, and I see your references, but oh, we just don't believe that. Now I say, you don't believe that. See, now my problem, I hadn't intended to get into it, but I will a little bit. That's just what I call cafeteria theology. Okay, I like this. Yeah, I'll take that. Nah, that I won't. I'm not going to do that. Now let me put in a little plea for the grammatico-historical method. The Old Testament is full of promises that God made to his people Israel. I mean, they're, they're just all of the things he's going to do for them says if, 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 if the heavenly bodies don't maintain their same relationship, in other words, uh, if the sun spins out, if, this have, if the tide stops working, then will I reject my people. Okay. I mean, you can't get more exacting than that. So my question is this. I was in a church that was a, that wasn't a, I don't even remember the denomination. It was over that way. And we had a guy one time, this was several decades ago, and he was espousing this, millennialism kind of thing. He said, well, that's not dumb. Says, that's, I said, well, look, it says right here. In fact, here's the question I asked him. I want, you, I want to tell you the answer he gave me. I said, if God didn't keep his promises to his people Israel, how do I know he's going to keep his promise to me when he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved? How do I know that? Oh, I'm sorry. Now, he looked me right in the eye, and you know what his answer to me was? I have a degree in theology. Well, 
Duh, maybe you can use that wonderful knowledge, your degree in theology, and answer my question. And until somebody does answer my question, I'm going to stick with the grammatico-historical hermeneutic. Because you have a problem there. This God, I mean, you know, what if he changes his mind again? Well, I don't believe we're told God doesn't change his mind. There's, a, there's an Old Testament verse that comes out and says that. You know, and I believe he will keep it. Another thing I don't like about our millennialism, it has led to anti-Semitism. Now, I'm not saying that all our millennials are anti-Semitists. They're not. And some of them are good Christians. I'm not saying that. But Augustine and some of these, the church was getting going, and it, and it led to what I call unbridled ecclesiasticism. Ecclesia for church, ecclesiasticism. So the church, in order to build up the importance of the church, they diminished Israel because we still got Israel. What about all these promises to Israel? I say, well, wait a minute. God can have one person, one people group here if, if he's with the church here. Then what about Israel? Well, my view on that is Israel is being punished. You know, when Christians sin, they do not lose their salvation. I don't believe. I believe in the security of the believer. But you can lose your fellowship. It's like David's sin with Bathsheba. And in Psalm it's 51.12, he says, Oh Lord, when he was pointing out his sin, the Lord had pulled his fellowship from David because of this sin he had with Bathsheba. And Psalm is 51.12, he says, Please restore the joy of my salvation. He didn't say restore my salvation. I'm not going to hell because of this. But, but I don't have your fellowship. I might as well be in hell. I don't like this. Please restore the joy of my salvation. So these are, it's very important then, I think, to get this, to get your understandings here about God's program for Israel and his program for the church. Paul describes the church as a mystery. Look, I tell you a mystery. Paul also said in Romans 11 too, has he asked the question directly, has God rejected his people, i.e., the, the uh, Jews. And he says, no, emphatically, he has not rejected them. They're being disciplined right now. They were spread all over the world, just as was prophesied in Deuteronomy 28. But he's going to bring them back. He's going. To, they haven't lost their salvation. He's going to pour out his grace. They will accept their Messiah, Jesus Christ. Right now, if someone wants to have a relationship with God, he comes in through the church, not by Israel. Israel's back in the land, but they haven't been full. They're largely secular. They, they have not come to their Messiah, but that's coming. Okay, now, let's see. I had, I, I, I feel that I have to mention that because you have to understand this does presume this timeline I gave you, a premillennial, a literal 1,000 years, as said in Revelation six times, but as I say, some people just say, well, we can't take that. We can't take that literally. Okay, so reasons for studying prophecy. Well, first of all, we're promised a blessing for doing so. Revelation 1-3. It's the only book in the Bible where you're promised a blessing for reading. God wanted Revelation read to the churches. It says, blessed is he that reads it and those that hear it. Apparently, people couldn't read all that much back then, so they'd have to be sent around. Somebody would read it and others would listen to it. It's a source of comfort. Ooh, wow, the blessed hope. And that brings up Revelation 11:15, maybe the most important verse in Revelation. The kingdom of the earth has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Okay? Are you sick and tired of turning on the TV set and seeing all this drill, this satanic mess? The, the Lord is not in control of the earth. Satan didn't wrench it away from him. The Lord let him have it. But Satan is in control of this earth, and it's going to get worse. In the Greek, it's called cosmos diabolikos. This is the world of Satan. Remember when Satan tempted Christ? Christ didn't. He said, I'll give you 
all the kingdoms of the world that you'll worship me. Well, Christ didn't argue that he had the, the authority to do that right now because he's in control of this world. But this comfort is when, when Christ comes back and God finally pours out his punishment on unregenerate mankind, he's going to set up this 1,000-year kingdom, and it's going to be a one-world government, okay? And that's something that uh, we can all take heart. You've heard the joke, hey, I looked in the back of the book, and we win. Well, that's the basis of that. We do win, because we're in Christ, and Christ wins. That's, that's, you can take that to the bank. But, and see, when Revelation was written in about 95 A.D., <clears throat> church was under all kinds of uh, persecution. Well, we're getting ready to get under even more persecution when the Antichrist comes to the head. And we're going to talk about the Antichrist and uh, some other things, too. Okay, so we're down to, what, D3, source of comfort. Okay, fulfilled prophecy builds faith. Now, all right, I'm going to read to you. This is very interesting. God actually calls out other gods, false gods, in Isaiah 44, 6, and 7. Listen to this. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people, Israel, and what is yet to come. Yes, let him foretell what will come. Now that's, God's just calling them out. I'm God. I can predict the future. You people, you are not God. You don't have real gods, and you can't predict the future. So predicting the future is a technique God uses to prove that he's God. That tells us also that Satan apparently can't do it, because if he could, he would. Uh, uh, he would. He would imbue his uh, his minions and the people that do his will on earth with this knowledge, which, which he can't do. Also, John, in the New Testament, Another illustration of this technique, John 14, 28 and 29, Jesus speaking to his disciples saying, I have told you now about his coming death and his coming back. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. Okay, so, so this is a, a verified method that God uses to uh, build faith and um, uh, affirm who he is and what he is. Now, it's 1030. Actually, a little after. That's it. I've enjoyed this. We're going to tie it up next week. You say, well, you, you hadn't even got through it. No, I hadn't. But it gets a lot faster when we get past. I'm going to tell you, Daniel, read the ninth chapter of Daniel. Daniel's 77s are the most amazing prophecy in the Bible. To me, it's like God just writing his name in the sunset saying, I exist. And Jesus Christ is my son. This was, this was written about 500 B.C. And it's been fulfilled. So, I mean, it's just very, perhaps to the very day. So, anyway, thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Bob. What a, yeah, it's a good study, guys. And we can't wait to have you back next Sunday. It's very good. Well, during our football season, I've been trying to pull a few end-of-thought-day things from the football world. and So today I went to another football team that uh, used to be known pretty well and had a very good coach also. Happened to be a Dallas team with a coach, Tom Landry. His coach, I mean, his quote that I pulled out for today is, Today you have 100% of your life left. That's it. (laughs) Thanks, and we'll see you all this evening.